everyone. My name is Virginia Duan, uh, also known as Mandarin Mama. I'm the host of the Nuna Army podcast, which is where I discuss the particular aspects and challenges of being a middle-aged BTS fan. And today, my special guest is Dr. Mike Campos. So, um, why don't you introduce yourself, Mike? <laughs> Hi, everybody. I'm so honored to be on Virginia's podcast. This is a first <laughs> for me because typically I'm used to being in front of high school teenagers. Well, what's the difference, right? But I'm always <laughs> used to being in front of like high school kids and whatever. But at the same time, um, to be able to explore similar themes is, I think, really exciting for me. But yeah, I work as a high school teacher by day. And sometimes I engage in academic work and ask questions around self-identity and um, what it means to be queer. Yes. Thank you. Plug your book. What's your book? Um, no book at the moment. <laughs> you, ha- you have them. Oh, yeah. We have this one book like years and years oh, ago called, um, uh, what do you call this? Um, oh, my God. I forgot the title of the book. Oh, Queering Migrations Towards From and Beyond Asia. It's an anthology by um, a group of us. We call ourselves Emerging Queer Asian Religion Scholars. And actually, we've been meeting regularly during oh. the pandemic just to talk about some of the implications of the pandemic for Asian and queer people of faith and what oh. that might mean in terms of negotiating these spaces where bodies can't really interact, where all the signifiers of race are kind of all over the place. So mm. let's see if that becomes a book. I don't know. <laughs> yes, or at least something. Something. <laughs> all right. So today, um, so Mike has seen like two, B- one BTS video, which is Singularity, and right. fell in love with them. And he has, we've had several conversations where uh, he just listens to me like gush about BTS. And uh, it's, it's actually somewhat embarrassing. <laughs> and then also, um, he, uh, I, think I, I think you've listened to The Truth Untold. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we were having several conversations in general about identity and yeah. the masks that we wear as, as people and hiding from ourselves and our, and our true selves and the fear we have when interacting with people. Yeah. So um, I thought we would discuss that, you know. Ooh, right. Easy topic <laughs> today. I was wondering, uh, so you had mentioned that you love the video Singularity, and I, I was just curious, like, what, since that was the first thing you saw of theirs, um, like, what about it made you respond so, pop- like, what, what, what spoke to you about that video itself and the song? You know, it's kind of interesting. Um, it's funny because oftentimes when I listen to music, mm-hmm. my first um, reaction to it is oftentimes through the melody and the rhythm Mm -hmm. and then after that because we've started to couple music melody rhythm with words and then of course with visuals through music Mm -hmm. video Mm -hmm. then it becomes this multi-dimensional experience for me right Mm -hmm. and one of the things interestingly enough with singularity that i was drawn to was actually the visual Mm. um I love the play of light and dark. I love the play of um, penetration and piercing through light as well as space. I really found that fascinating, especially when it came to that image around the lake. Or Ah. at least, you know, when I was reading through the lyrics, you know, the idea of water as this barrier between two worlds and how um, one actually either chooses to stay on only on one side and sort of assumes to know what's going on on the other side or you take the courageous act of penetrating it 
mm. and trying to see um, whether what you see is really what is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love that image of, um, I guess, the boundary crossings and a lot of the violations that take place when one crosses light and dark, the stability of water and space, very much. That wow. would be powerful. Could right? you talk more about what you mean by like violations of space? Because sometimes, you know, when you think about bodies, um, of course, you know, I'm trained primarily in theology. Mm-hmm. So if that's the case, then I look at image and I look at all of these artifacts of culture through theological lenses. And because of that, I'm always drawn to some of the mythical elements that are hidden mm-hmm. behind this imagery. Mm-hmm. So the reason why I look upon it as violation was primarily because when you think about the lake, and the person looking into it. I mean, you're drawn back to the story of Narcissus. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. A mythical figure who basically fell in love with a reflection of himself mm-hmm. and died because he wanted to sort of grasp with that which he thought was real, which is sort of ironic because that which was real was really himself, the one yes. on this side of that mm-hmm. mirror. So when you're actually penetrating, when you're violating that space that's sort of allotted for you, um, do you really touch something which is much more meaningful, much more grounded, much more expansive or real, or is it simply an illusion? So two things happen when you break through the spaces that are quote-unquote allotted for you. Either you realize that the world that you're living in is really small, mm. or you perhaps realize that this aspiration towards something more is really an illusion. So either way, you're taking a risk. But ah. the ethical choice that I think always comes up is whether, whether you choose to penetrate that barrier or you don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and that always comes up when you're confronted with um, some metaphors around uh, walls, like whether it be a literal wall or whether it be a mirror to yourself, seeing yourself in a different way for the first time through how other people see you. Mm-hmm. That itself is that metaphorical wall that you're either compelled to play into or maybe break through this is this has elevated my entire pandemic experience (laughs) oh my gosh i'm so sorry okay (laughs) this is no 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 in the sense of like i don't think i've had such a like my brain was like i don't Oh my God, I understand these words, but I don't understand them together. Wait, how, the, how, the hell, how the hell did they work together? I know, I know. And then, and then I was like, wait, I think I'm catching on. No, he's too smart. <laughs> no, no. Or, or basically, I'm really just trying to understand. Well, I, anyway, or I think what you're seeing is simply just me reacting to the video. And that was the first thing that I saw. Um, no, but that's so deep. And the thing is, I, I, I'm not, it was not a criticism. It was just more like, wow. I know such smart people. Oh and, God, and, then, and, and also I was like, oh, you know what? I just need to talk to Mike when I'm getting like a little bit too full of myself. When I think I'm deep, I need to talk oh, to stop. Mike. <laughs> I need to talk to Mike. And then, no, you need to be nice to no, no, no. <laughs> a nice and reminder. Then, and then I need to remember that, no, I'm, I'm not that deep. In fact, I'm a real basic bitch. I'm really shallow. <laughs> Girl, you're not basic. Uh, you just be amongst high school students every day and then you realize, oh, there's a lot you can learn from 
basic from what <laughs> basic is supposed to be right because they teach me things a lot actually mm-hmm. so and i thought I, it, I, oh go ahead I'm yeah, good, 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 go go no so i was so interested that you mentioned a uh, narcissist because right. that is uh, many people have interpreted that video as referencing narcissist and then also ophelia right from from, from hamlet right exactly um, because you know she she drowned in the water right. and she like, I mean, it's pretty dumb to like kill yourself over a dude, but I understand. <laughs> I know, <laughs> but I know. especially Hamlet, because Hamlet is such a milk toast person. Like, <laughs> like, why would you do that for this guy? Yeah, but, but you know, it is interesting though here because in so many ways, although there's that suggestion of a lover, mm-hmm. the lover never really appears in the whole mm-hmm. video either, yeah. right? The lover is in so many ways nothing but like a coat rack or a coat hanger, which is kind of hilarious the whole time. Yes. Yeah. So when you're looking at that lake, and even the lyrics were talking about like reaching for something, and then you start wondering like, well, who are you really reaching for? So mm-hmm. that's why this whole narcissist um, paradigm is pretty much like, okay, it's kind of obvious here, the paradox that's happening. You're reaching for something, but that's something that you're reaching for is simply a reflection of yourself. Mm-hmm. But then the other thing that I thought was really, even for me, was more compelling were the proliferation of masks. Yes. Yeah. And that for me was my, my first reaction to it. At least the way I started looking at it was much more, probably more theological. So the mythological framework was more theological for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, oh God, I can't believe I'm going to go for this. But yes, do it. So the Trinity, I can't believe I just like talked about the Trinity. Yes, this is the best podcast ever. <laughs> like, oh, like, what the hell? You know, so, you know, it's kind of interesting for me. One of the biggest conundrums of Christianity was really trying to make do with explaining how this experience of God through Jesus in so many ways can be articulated in a way that maintains the monotheistic tradition that Christianity emerged out of, you know, with Judaism. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you explain the fact that this person, this nobody from Galilee could somehow evoke for us um, either God's will or some experience of God, whatever. Mm-hmm. And how that attempt to articulate that experience became even more complicated once Christianity shifted into the Roman era, or mm-hmm. not the Roman era, but the Roman worldview, where you have these Neoplatonic elements, you know, this whole division around what is the divine and what is considered to be the profane, sacred and profane, that whole division thing. And so one of the effects of that was really this notion of Jesus as both human or divine. One, great. Mm-hmm. But then the other effect that um, that, that gave birth to was the Trinity. Mm. You know, the idea that if we can begin claiming that there's this one human person that can embody so much the divine then one of the effects of that was somehow trying to explain how this supposedly divine figure, which in the platonic world should not be interacting with the created world. Mm. Um, the, the resolution to that ironically was the doctrine of the Trinity. Mm. Now, why, what the hell does that have to do with BTS? Well, because you know, <laughs> one of the things that I thought was interesting was um, the language that the, the, the Greeks used was, was the idea of the mask, the persona. Mm-hmm. You know, so three persons in one God. And, you know, every, I mean, most of us that have at least dabbled in some theology are familiar with that language, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so when you're talking about three persons in one God, the word person is actually derived from 
the word persona, which okay. literally means a mask. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about a god who in so many ways plays with different personas. <gasps> so god that actually is singular, one god, uh-huh. but has different masks that god utilizes to interact with humanity. You have one mask that's human and in flesh. You have another God that's creator and therefore removed and transcendent. And you have another God that's imminent, close to us. So, I mean, you have all of these different persons, Uh masks, Uh persona that's actually interacting with us. So when I was watching that, I was thinking, this is really actually kind of fantastic because in so many ways, when you're talking about boundary crossing right um Mm -hmm. earlier when i was thinking about watching that video and looking at the way in which this main figure crosses between light and dark crosses between this side of the mirror to that side we could take that literally but we're also talking about how you and i at an ordinary level Mm -hmm. every day we cross those boundaries through the use of different masks. Yes. Right? Yes, yes. And so in so many ways, how different is that from images or imaginings of God who interacts with us through different masks, through different persona, different mm-hmm. personifications? Mm-hmm. And in so many ways, um, actually, for me, it's an easier way of explaining how so much more complicated people are yeah. in our negotiations because we're not exactly the same kind of person for mm-hmm. every person that we meet. Yes, yes. We're not. And that itself is a theological, um, what do you call this? It's a theological experience. Mm. So to the extent that you can't really put persons in a box, how can you even put God in a box as mm-hmm. well? Mm-hmm. To do that would be in a way a form of engaging in idolatry oh. in so many ways. So when the mask itself becomes static uh-huh. and you impose a particular kind of personality that should not be changing, that should be so-called authentic, you know, any claims of authentic self itself becomes a form of idolatry. So anyway. Wait, wait, wait. Say that again. Any form of authentic self is a form of idolatry? Any claim. Oh, any claim. Any claim that there is an authentic self really hedges the line between a dynamic notion of who you are and idolatry. It really does. Because, you know, you put yourself in a trap. Like, this is my real self. And then somehow, once you say that, you're kind of committed. Yes, yes, yes. Right? But and people can have layers. People have to, and, and, and it depends on, so all these things that popped into my mind as like, my brain exploded with your like awesomeness. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm so serious. It's really unfair that you're packaged so attractively and then your brain is also so attractive. Like, oh. <laughs> how do people resist you? Oh, um, but like, like, um, oh, I forgot what it was. Oh, but like when you were saying about Persona, so BTS oh. has, their the last two albums were, are based on Carl Jung's Map of the Soul. So one of their songs is, so it's about the journey of the Persona to the Shadow and the right. And um, and then, but also about the mask. So I I have always interpreted the song as an internal. Mm. Um, and yes, I, I I thought that they used like a lover in a sense. So I also to like symbolize yourself. Right. But the but but the lover is is 
more like a distraction. Like it's actually the real problem is that they have hidden themselves. Right. And they have lied to themselves this whole time. They have frozen, they've, you know, frozen themselves. Oh, that's way. awesome. Right. So right? they're like, and, yeah. And then they're finally flying and they don't know what to do. Right. right. Like, they oh don't know. God. Right. They don't know whether this person that has thought is going to be accepted, is going to be loved. Is, is, is it even the real them? Is it, they think it's the real them and will this, and it's maybe it's not the person that the lover wants or wanted, right? right? right. Um, so I, I always saw the lover as sort of like an external catalyst to this self-revelation. So you could, so I always thought you could look at the song as um, like both as like a, how you relate to a person right? Uh, like giving your real self to somebody, but also in discovering who your real self is. But it was so interesting for me to think of not what you're, the way you like interpreted it is and like, we are all always like this. Like we are all always taking and removing masks and, um, and that, that it's not just a, your personal relationship with yourself. It's not just like a, an intimate relationship with a lover but it is with any person that you deal with and that, that just expanded the song for me or the like meaning of it for me and then um like the concept of masks uh, i thought of several things like uh have you ever read till we have faces by c.s lewis you know i don't think i have why have <gasps> i heard of it so it's we have faces till till we have faces oh till yeah. we have faces oh my god no i'm gonna take note of that actually that's it fine. is my favorite book of all time it is my favorite book of all time it is c.s lewis's retelling of the myth of cupid and psyche oh oh wow god that's awesome and oh my god it is oh i just got chills. but it is it is i think i read it in college and it is transformative um, and it talks about how it, it tells a story from one of the older sister's point of view. Okay. And, um, and just like, it, you know, it touches on how the creation of myths, like, and then also, um, can we actually see God face to face? And when we do see God face to face, like what, and we demand an audience, like, what are we actually saying? And, and what answer would suffice? Right. And even if you saw God, would you actually believe it? You know, or like, or are you just lying to yourself? Uh, because it doesn't fit the narrative that you've created for yourself. Um, but in one of the parts, she talks about Ungit. And I guess that was a very old version of Venus. Right. And she talks about how in the old temples, Ungit the, the statue of Ungit was actually just a rock mm. with many faces. It was just like a slab of rock with right. like weird faces. And then she complains that she doesn't like the new Ungit. She doesn't like how the Romans have turned her into Venus and given her this beautiful face and figure. Because um, the stone slab was much more terrifying. Mm. Because they, somehow they, they tamed and like changed and get into like this palatable face right but it's the amorphous ugly face that is the true god right. um so I, I thought that was very interesting but then i was also thinking of like the seraphim 
Right. Because oh, they have four faces, the four head or four faces, right? Like the constant and how you're talking about like the different faces of God, and I thought it was very apt. <laughs> it's like what, an eagle, a bear. But but now that you mentioned all the masks that we all wear and that we constantly navigate and take off, then we have millions of masks. We have millions of faces. I would say that we have a face for every person that we interact with. Right? And it, it really just, you know, I, I thank you so much for, um, for, for highlighting, you know, this, this whole evolution of Venus and the whole idea of what is the more authentic version of it, right? Because mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, it's been an old um, trope. God, I hate using that word, but it is... <laughs> Uh, it's a it's a trope you know in in right. any language around god right mm -hmm. so you know we go back to even moses where moses's encounter with god was not so much a person with a face but a burning bush you know mm -hmm. um and so when we think about the ways in which we've always struggled as people mm -hmm. um to sort of define this other that we're encountering mm -hmm. The question that that always raises for me, and this is what came up in the video, and this is exactly what you were talking about, was who are we really encountering and why do we have such an extreme reaction to it? Either we want to possess it or we're totally averse to it. Mm -hmm. And so the, the deeper question for me is really, are we in, in so many ways either encountering a part of ourselves that are so that's so foreign as to be frightening Yes. Or are we encountering a part of ourselves that requires such care and empathy? Or are we seeing a part of ourselves that might, um, that, that's so attractive that we're just so drawn to it? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think at the end of it, the, the, I think the reason why in Christianity, Christianity is an interesting religion for me because on so many ways, at least Judaism and Islam are clear. Yeah. We will not have any image of the divine, of, of God, simply because to even name God is, is in itself sort of really, really walking that fine line between trying to own God. Mm. And so we won't even name God. Like Islam mm. developed an entire artistic tradition without <laughs> drawing God. So this whole calligraphic artistic tradition was just fantastic. And of course, Judaism came up with like numerous placeholders for God's name, you know, mm -hmm. without articulating God's name. Because it's just too too close to taking ownership of this other. Whereas Christianity is really playing with fire. You know, mm. we really do. Um, even so much as basically saying that God has different masks, assuming that we can somehow read what those masks might mean. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the reason why one of the effects, I think, of Christianity is this almost narcissistic element, to go back to that mm -hmm. image. Like there's this narcissism that sort of rears its head over and over again. Like for some reason, we believe that we can, we can understand God. Mm -hmm. But is it really about God that we're talking about? Is it this narcissism about the fact that we can, that we have this strange capacity to understand who we are? Mm -hmm. um, and that's why I like this video, because even though a lot of the suggestions was this yearning for this other, um, mm -hmm. This other really never makes an appearance in yeah. the video. Never. Um, and you could argue that the other is actually themselves. Yeah. Like and I think at the end of it, yeah. yeah. And that, that, that they themselves are so alien. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Very much so. 
And it's kind of frightening when you start to see yourself as incomprehensible mm-hmm. in that sense. Yeah. And then I think, so when I first encountered this song, it came out May of 2018. And I'd already been kind of dabbling into BTS. Um, since like January of 2018 and then 2018 was the year that I had my like midlife crisis mm. um, and it was just it just spoke so deeply into me I just felt like I had felt like I had been frozen over I felt like I was that person frozen over right. um, and just and it, it was kind of like humbling because I, I think I always have I feel like I've always been as authentic of a person as I like, could be at the time Right. throughout my life um but even then just to to see like you know there's there's parts of me that i've buried or didn't want to acknowledge or did or i've killed or, or, or whatever right and then but it's actually it's not dead it's like a zombie because it's like hey yo i'm here right, <laughs> I right, right, right. and then now you're like oh am i really like this or oh i don't want to acknowledge this and then so and then because I've always been um, obsessed, uh, forgive the tangent, but I promise it makes sense. I'm obsessed with like personality tests. Mm. So, so I'm obsessed with like the Myers Briggs, the MSP. I'm a what's your MBTI. Oh, do you want to guess? What do you think? It yeah, is? it has to be E. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're almost an NNFJ. Okay, so I am an S, but, oh, when S. I first, but when I first took it, I was an N. So I think I'm kind of, uh, but definitely F and J. <laughs> Interesting. See, okay, okay, got it. <laughs> so what do you, what do you? Um, I sort of dabble between INFJ and INFP. Oh. Yeah. Very much the introvert, intuitive. Mm-hmm feeling definitely the, big picture i i see yeah very <laughs> very big picture yeah 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 um but anyway sorry so you're talking about personality tests yeah. yeah yeah so i'm obsessed with them because i love being labeled i love being categorized Interesting. i love like i love knowing that i'm an esfj i'm like well that's what EFJs do like and uh the reason why i hate like astrology and like zodiac sign things is because it's like <laughs> seriously <laughs> like these these long dead stars are telling me what my personality is like. <laughs> um, so like <laughs> okay, but uh, but but it amuses me too because because well, so many of it's like so wide and big like everybody is this right but for, versus like. I feel like they're, they're too broad of a category versus specific enough. Um, and it could just be because I don't understand astrology categories as well. Right? I apologize if you're an enthusiast. <laughs> but also, um, like I, that's why I'm so frustrated with the Enneagram. Oh, interesting. I was going to ask what your number was. But anyway, go on. It's different every time. I know. Same here. Really? It's very, like, I've taken it, like, because my spiritual director had asked, what's your number? And I'm like, well, when I was in college, it was six. I'm assuming it's not the same. And then I tried to take it, like, three times. It was different. Yeah. I vary between one, eight, and I think two. One, two, and eight. Wow. And I think it just depends on what context I'm answering. If I'm okay. answering it in the context of, like, how I am personally, 
right. like, like as a, as, or how I think, or am I answering it on how I behave? Cause right. like, it's very different. And then, so, but I think, I think I'm a what. Mm, okay. So people are like, no, you're kind of the need to be against. And I'm like, that's true too. <laughs> <laughs> I've always thought I was a four. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so, but, but I think, but it was so interesting to me when you said that as soon, when you say that you found the authentic self is a form of idolatry when all this, this whole time, I, it's seriously transformed my brain. Like, this is like a totally new thought. Like, it's so rare you get like new thoughts. You know what I mean? Like, at, or maybe I just don't read enough. But like, um, but like, because I think this whole time I'm like, I need to find the right box mm, to describe right. me. Right. I need to find the right box so that because consistency is super important to me, and so right. like, um, so I I need that's why the enneagram frustrates me because it makes me feel inconsistent as a person. <laughs> Got it. Right. You know, like you so I'm like, yeah, like where's my where's my box? I I need things ordered. I need I need to tell you like okay, this is how I'm predictable and and right. blah blah blah. Um, but now that you pointed it out as like so this whole time I've been searching for an idol. I feel like this person, like I've been searching for this, my, I, I thought I was looking for my true self, but it's actually a fake. So that's why my brain is like, my mind is totally blown. It took like, it took like 30 minutes for my brain to catch up to what you were saying. <laughs> it probably took me like an hour to understand what the hell was I saying anyway. <laughs> it is true though. And well, I mean, when I say it's true, but for me, it resonates too, because like, for example, in, in the queer world, when mm -hmm. I say queer world, and I'm using that really kind of loosely, and I don't mean to necessarily just say like LGBTQ folks or whatnot, but I'm talking about the ways in which we queer categories. Um, one of the things that I've learned to appreciate mm -hmm. is that this, this search for an authentic self, if not somehow tempered, can become a place of real power imbalance, mm. right? Um, and by the way, when I talk about authentic self, I'm not just talking about ourselves. And of course, I do the same thing where I'm looking for some marker to understand me, which is important, right? Like, right. I know I'm an introvert, so I'm not going to put myself in a freaking situation where I'm talking to 5 million people and I have to like, ha ha ha, be happy <laughs> for the next five hours, you know, like, I'm not doing that, you know, <laughs> like, I'll write a paragraph or something like that, right? Um, and at, at the same time, it's really more the kind of authenticity that I feel is sort of imposed on us. Mm. And that's also dangerous, or at least for me, kind of, um, at least invites reflection. So for example, um, not to go too big picture too quickly, but it's kind of interesting for me how with all of the pandemic going on, mm -hmm. there's a lot of conversation around race again, mm. right? Because, because let's, let's, let's be real, um, in terms of access to medical care, folks of color, um, at least it's, it seems to be showing, some, some studies are showing that they tend to get less access. Mm -hmm. But then we also have these emerging narratives. And I know Russell Jung here at SF State has been really at the forefront of that conversation where anti-Asian sentiments are on the rise again. Yeah. Yeah. And those were for me interesting for two reasons. One, well, because real bodies like ours mm -hmm. are somehow pegged as one thing, that you are this authentic whatever you are thing, and therefore you deserve to be treated in this way. Mm -hmm. And so 
it's another kind of mask imposed on you. And if you're wearing that mask, then therefore you have the right to receive this kind of a treatment. Mm. So, you know, there's a difference between trying to find an authentic self that's internal, which is sort of um, a privilege in so many ways. And then having to confront a self that's sort of put on your body mm. by certain social expectations. And now you kind of have to live with the effects of that. And that is hard. Um, yeah. And that's what I've been thinking a lot about, you know, when, when it comes to um, what this pandemic is, because not only are you dealing with something, I mean, I'm using the word basic sarcastically, like fundamental, like your body. Right, right. That, right. that can and very well could die. Yes. And that is itself a carrier of death. And so I'm walking down the damn freaking street. And the most ethical thing that I can do is avoid people. And I try to be nice about it by making eye contact as I'm covered, like, mm, hello, avoiding <laughs> the street. But then at the back of my head, I'm also kind of like, the person might see that I'm Asian. What, that, what, that, what might yeah. that person be thinking about me? Mm-hmm. And so I'm doing two things where I'm taking care of that person by yeah. trying to avoid them, trying to signal that I'm not avoiding you because I'm afraid of you. I'm avoiding you because I want to protect you. And then being afraid of that person because mm-hmm. I know that I'm wearing this persona that represents mm-hmm. in so many other people a carrier, right? Or some yeah. form of a threat. So yeah, that, that so-called authentic self is a double-edged sword. Um, and, and so resisting that, I think for me, has always been an ethical choice. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea that there's such a thing as an authentic person who's supposed to be my grounding um to what extent is that more of a trap than it is really freeing Hmm. i feel like so many thoughts have been crammed into my brain in this 38 minute period of time and my brain's like yo you haven't used me in a long time this might not work out It's, it's so strange though, right? Because that's what I liked about the video. Mm-hmm. For me, the, the reaction was visceral. For me, it was, it was uh, a very visceral reaction. It was like, hmm, this is really cool. Um, it, it almost was painful, actually, to watch it. And by the way, when I say pain, I'm not talking about like, oh God, I'm going to enter. No, but, but pain in the sense of, but, but it's painful to sort of start owning the reality and the fact that in so many ways, who you are is what you make of it. Oh, I can't believe I just said that publicly, but I'm going to say it. Yeah, that who you are is what you make of it. And that this idea of a f- authentic, real self that we're always spending our entire life searching for mm-hmm. might actually be an illusion. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, it might actually be more harmful for us than not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's what... Um... So in... in... In the BTS fandom, and actually in most fandoms, they, they always joke about like, the duality of these members. Like, oh, they're so baby. And then, oh my God, they're so sexy. Right. And, right. and they like joke about it. And they talk about like, oh. And, and it's kind of like in the song, this video too, right? It's like such a sensual, like right. physical, like seductive song. But on the flip side, well, it's, the song itself is a mask, right? Because it sounds sexy and seductive and like hey let's make babies but 
the actual lyrics of it, right, are deep pain, right? And like deep, like, I'm hiding myself. I want, I'm buried. I, I don't know who I am. And then the dance, right? you know, it, the choreography is at a, is, is again, another mask, right? Because it's so much, it's so much faster than the actual beat of the song. Oh, that's true. Right? Oh my God, you're right. Um, so it's a, it's another layer, another mask. And then oh, they that's have a so cool, right. Yeah, yeah. And because when you see, when you hear the song, you don't think of that type of choreography, right? Because the choreography, no, right. the choreography is very frenzied, right? And that's why it feels almost like this uncomfortable yes. feeling to it. Because mm-hmm. it, it's, because you're right, it does sound like a makeup song. A make on the makeup. Oh, sorry, that's my queen side. It's a makeout song. Yeah, <laughs> it yeah, sounds yeah. like a makeout song. But at the end of the day, you're right. It felt uncomfortable. Like literally, mm-hmm. um, there was this disparity between what I was seeing and what I was hearing. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's a total cognitive dissonance. And so, like, right, right. I think what I was starting to realize, and, and they, BTS explores that theme a lot in their songs, and then and because because people always try to label them. Are you an idol? Are you a rapper? Are you a hip-hop artist? Are you a K-pop? Are you, did you transcend K-pop? Are you, and they're like, yo, we don't care what you, in the song Idol, which I used to not like, but now I realize the lyrics are just really cute. They're like, you know, I don't care what you call me. Right. You can call me artist, you can call me idol. It doesn't, doesn't change who I am. I, and there's a line that actually I already knew before they used it in this, which is, I contain multitudes. I think it's Buddhist, but like, right, the idea of the con. So just, I think it was very helpful. What, what has attracted me so much about BTS and their like talks about identity, because pretty much they're, they, they're all their, not all their songs, but it's just like an overarching theme of their discography, which is discussing identity, whether it's as a student, whether it's as what society is imposing on you, like oh you need to work hard go to university get a stable job or you know or about love or just who who they are as people but i realized like part of the reason why i had like i set my life on fire when i was 40 or was turning 40 was like i just i felt like well am i a mom like am i just like am i just this frumpy person with like who just pops babies out of a vagina like on some like vending machine and then like or am I am I like a deep thinker am I like a writer am I like a I used to like really care about being passionate about things and I realized like I totally don't care about being passionate about things anymore it's just not interesting to me and um and and I think that happened around like 20 something and I was just like no I'm done with that passionate thing I don't like I'm fine with just like stable small things right like um but i guess what i mean is like those and i think constantly again like with the personality test i'm like no but which one's the real me like as if as if i can only be either or and and i guess that's what i mean that's why i found your comment about the authentic self being an idolatry source because the authentic self encompasses so many selves right right. and that they're real and depending on the situation depending on the time, the era, the age, your experience, that authentic self is, is constantly in flux, right? It's not static. And how, so in some sense, like the masks aren't really masks, <laughs> if that makes sense. It's just like, I think this whole time I've been thinking of the masks as bad things, 
like, oh, you want to take off your mask. Right. But now that you've said what you've said, uh, and this is, I don't think, I don't think, I think in the world of BTS, they say the masks are bad, right? Like that's. Oh, really? It's a negative but, connotation? I don't know if it's negative, but it's basically that you're hiding, right? You're hiding behind these masks or it's part of who they are. Okay. They, they okay. have, they have as idols, they have their persona. Right, right. They, they have their shadows that they deal with and then they, they feel like they've finally ended up in the ego where they're like integrated, right? right. Um, and I took them a long time to get there. And I feel like for me, it's interesting to possibly see it as the masks aren't necessarily false. They just represent different faces of who you are. And that if you... Well, I guess it all ends up being like... This sounds kind of convoluted. I'm still working it out. Hence the extroversion. <laughs> but like... Um, I guess the reason why we think the masks are fake is because we think that the mask has to stay there the whole time. It's versus, like we like we think of the mask as something we put permanently on our face. Right. But if we think of them as like clothes, or like right, right, like a symbol to represent how you are at this moment. Right. Then it's not necessarily. It's it's useful. It can be a useful tool. It's like that. You know, in grade school, where you have, how am I feeling? Yeah, today? yeah, 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 yeah. That thing. So this is my mask today. You yeah. know, this is my mask today. And mm -hmm. that doesn't feel inauthentic. Mm -hmm. You know, it, I love the image that you were describing because, you know, is it real when you put on a different mask? There's almost a part of me that um, is really drawn to that gap between the skin and that mask, right? Because mm. we sort of assume that there's such a chasm. Like, it's almost like this totally different essential quality to that mask, which is in proximity to your face. Mm -hmm. And we, we assume that that gap is what keeps the face, the skin, kind of real. Mm. Like, that's really the core. And, you know, to go back to your image of a person who puts on different masks, like there's just different sides of us. I would even go so far, at least for me, that even the idea that there is a person, um, I'm not really sure whether it's something that I resonate with. And again, this is more me. I'm not trying to be hyper-philosophical about it. It's more, <laughs> I'm not even sure whether there is such a thing as a static self. Mm -hmm. You know, because it's kind of funny you talk about MBTI, right? Um, right. Because for some reason, when I was in high school, or was it in seminary? They made us take the damn thing over and freaking over again. Oh, really? The whole like 500 questions? Oh my God, it took like five hours to do the damn thing. And I remember, yeah. you know, for some reason, it was such an important tool. I don't know why. Oh, I know. At least in seminary, I know exactly why they were doing it. Like, they, they, they gave us like this barrage of psychological tests. And then, they, and then, this is so 1980s, which of course is, you know, like, three decades ago or four decades ago, but they were so obsessed about IQs. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They made us take IQ tests. And this is what they did. So they made you take IQ tests. And then after that, they rank you according to your IQ. They rank you according to IQs. And then they would rank your academic output. And if you fall like several notches below your IQ level, then they assume that you're not living up to your potential. But if your IQ level is low and then your 
academic level, your academic ranking is five above, then you're like maximizing your potential. And I'm just like, what the hell does that even mean? It, it almost assumes that all you are is just this, this, uh, this core that, that is sort of, um, that just needs to be massaged. You know, that's how it appears to me. And that for some reason, our goal in life is to maximize that core. Mm-hmm. And uh, I felt that it was so imprisoning mm. because it also didn't resonate with my own life experience as a person because who I am now at 48 is so different from who I was when I was 18. Yeah. Um, I don't even look at the world in the same way and I don't even know whether I'm, I don't even know if I'm the sum of many, many parts, mm-hmm. you know, like, is that what it is? Am I just this core where you just had shells added onto it, but I'm still essentially the same core? Um, not really sure. Are you a hermit crab or are you something different? <laughs> yeah, exactly right. I don't know. I, the octopus is a little bit more attractive to me. <laughs> like, I know. They can, they're, they're smart. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I, I mean and again the reason why it's so complicated is primarily because at the end of the day you know we can't forget at least for me I cannot forget the fact that that core of a self is constantly negotiating with how I am read outside mm. um, and how at least when, when this physical thing walks into the social space it's a totally different ball game now I have to deal with how people read me. Yeah. Now I have to deal with how I want people to read me. It's a game, you know? So, and it's always been that way, but it's heightened now, right? Because the consequences are so much more life and death. Well, yeah. And then you go back to the pandemic and all of that situation. But I mean, I was just thinking about it in terms of our regular negotiations. Right? Oh, yeah. And I guess, you know, maybe as a single person, maybe that's the reason why I, I, I secretly envy people that live in some form of a committed relationship mm. okay so because hate each other equally oh totally you know like every day you have someone to like <laughs> you know like you have someone to project all of your anxieties towards your your what i call this your psychosis and whatever um right. but at least there's a part of me where if you're always forced to relate with an other it actually gives a better sense of it gives at least a better understanding of what makes you tick Mm. Whereas I think as a single person living alone, it's far too easy to get caught up in my own, um, what do you call this, uh, thought bubble. Mm. And I get caught up in confirming only those things which I think I want to believe in or things that I think I Oh, own. like an echo chamber. Pretty much, yeah, an echo chamber. That's all it is. So, so it's so interesting because um, it, you made me think of another thing. Uh, actually, I thought of it earlier too, but you just reminded me again. It's another C.S. Lewis book um, called. Uh, in case you can't tell, C.S. Lewis formed a lot of my like thinking. I know. When Be- I was in college. Beyond um, the Chronicles of Narnia, which I grew up <gasps> with. But anyway, yes. I, I love know. Chronicles. I know. I love the Chronicles. Um, even though now, as I've as I've listened to like. It as an adult, because my kids like to listen to it a lot in Chinese. So I've I've listened to like the Chronicles of Narnia like in full like a bajillion times. In the last wow, years. Um, it's like a really racist, ethnocentric, like like Anglo-centric view of the world, right? 
and uh, Christos, very, like, very Christian, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, oh, so he wrote a book. Well, I guess it wasn't really a book; it was his journals after his wife died. Oh, okay. Have you read that? I think I've actually read pieces of that. Yeah, I remember that book. So what has been most, the thing that I carried the most from it was um, how when someone dies, it's not just that person who dies. It is, you actually lose the parts of your friends that that person brought out. Mm, Wow. Because we, like... Right, like, because you're not, you know, like, that's why it's, that's why when you, you know, start meeting people, it's fun to see them in different environments with different people, with their friends. That's why they say, like, when you're in a relationship, you shouldn't marry someone until you've gone traveling with them and, like, met their families because you want to see the, or, and see their friends, right? Because you want to see them negotiate different spaces because those different types of people will bring out different sides of, of that person, right? So it was just very interesting to me. Like, again, like how you, like, there is no, it's not that, you know, you're less authentic. It's just that different people bring out or draw or call out different things to you, you know? I don't know if I'm making sense right now. <laughs> no, 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 it really, really does. I mean, you, uh, the closest I've ever been to a committed relationship, so I'm putting that in, in, in quotes, was I think I had shared this with you was when I was living in the monastery. You know, the last time we were talking, I talked mm-hmm. about that that experience. And the reason why that was so pivotal for me. The hardest thing about living in a monastery, ironically, was not taking care of the freaking sheep. <laughs> it wasn't like going out into the damn forest in the dead of freaking winter and then chopping down trees. It, it wasn't that. It wasn't even like bug season where I had to mow the freaking lawn when I, I can't believe I'm cussing all over the place. When I had to mow the lawn while the bugs were eating me alive. No, it wasn't even feeding the pigs or taking care of the chicken or anyway, nothing of those. Um, oops. I, I think for me, the hardest part was how to relate with, with the brothers, you know, um, mm. because in so many, and I think what made it even more difficult was because I went into that community with a very clear, um, my friend likes to use this word. I'm going to quote him. This is Hugo Cordova Cuero. He's part of our, Cuero, he's part of our collective, right? But, you know, it's like you go in there and I, I, I went in with a very clear resume like I had a job description of who I was. Like, here's my resume, and mm-hmm. this is what I'm bringing to your community. So it's almost a sense of self-righteous, like, this is my gifts that I want to enrich your community with. You're welcome. <laughs> exactly. Like, hi, I'm here. Okay. But at the end of it, I found that every category on that resume was literally falling apart the longer that I stayed there. Mm. That for some reason, things that I thought I was didn't quite hold up to the ordinary engagements of community life mm. um, that for some reason or the other, it came to a point where my crisis moment took place when I actually started wondering, and I know this sounds weird, like what made me tick? Mm. So I, re- I, I reacted to it in the typical way that a teenage coming to self 
would react to those kinds of moments. I rebelled, you know, like I would do everything against the rule. Like I would be so tempestuous. I, I was such a petulant teenager at 30, you know, like I would flout the rules. I would like wear funny things while everybody else was wearing habits, like little things like that. It was such a weird realization that that's how I felt. I, I, what I was trying to do was sort of own who I was. Mm. And at the end of it, and you know, when I did leave the monastery, intuitively I knew that I wanted to teach much more than anything else, but I needed to almost identify a non-negotiable. You know, it's like the ultimatum. Yeah. That's what, because that's, isn't that how we break up with people? Mm -hmm. We give an ultimatum. And the ultimatum has one function. It's to establish a non-negotiable difference between you and that other person. Yeah. And because it's non-negotiable, there's no potential for conversation there's no potential for a way forward which was interesting because the whole purpose of the seminar of that whole monastic community is that we commit not to sameness or difference we commit to conversation mm -hmm. nothing is off the table in fact they're in the benedictine life i, I think i had mentioned this the last time they, they are obsessed with this idea of conversatio morum that through conversation you're always shifting mm -hmm. and that in so many ways, challenges the idea that there is such a thing as a real Mike mm. or a real brother John or a real brother this or brother that. Like, no, conversation always actually puts you in the line. And conversation always is vulnerable because if you really are conversa uh, conversing with another person, you're willing to read and be read. Mm. That means there really isn't a stable self mm -hmm. that will need to be protected. Because yeah. every part of you is on the line. Wow. <sighs> yeah. Sorry. Ah, no, it's great. <sighs> this is why I love talking to you. <laughs> Thank you. No, this is great. I always sort of go into this monastic drone. But anyway. Yeah. No, it's great. Okay, well, why don't we end it here? Okay, um, cool. Awesome. Since this is a nice stopping point. Um, thank, so, you. thank you so much for listening everyone please like and subscribe and hit the notification bell if you're watching this on YouTube or please you know like and subscribe and download us wherever you consume podcasts and we'll see you next time <laughs>